0: I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903 586 6520 If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, as you settle in this morning, I want to share a scenario with you that I think most of us can can relate to. Say you go to your favorite restaurant, you order your favorite meal. You have in mind, before you go, exactly what you want. The way you want it prepared, and how you want it served. You get to the restaurant, you, you, you give them your specific order, and they completely mess it up. <laughs> Can anyone relate to that? Amen. While they may serve you the dish you, you ordered, they add certain things to that dish you don't like. They fail to, to prepare it in the way you wanted it. It's, it's amazing how... Certain bad ingredients and missed instructions can completely ruin your favorite meal. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We are starting a new study this morning through Colossians that we are calling Just Jesus. While the Christians at Colossae first responded favorably, To this message of just Jesus, when it came to their salvation, there were false teachers and, and influencers who were changing the order. They were messing with the main dish. They were trying to entice these believers to receive what they were offering up. A disciple of Paul's named Epaphras had delivered to the Colossians the perfect message the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. And while while many responded favorably in this town to that message, they responded in repentance and, and faith in Jesus. Over time, false teachers moved in and challenged that message and added certain ingredients to it that completely altered and ruined it. Many of the Christians in this church were being tempted to to drift from Epaphras' message, which was God's message, the gospel message, to embrace this false teaching. Epaphras brings this matter to the Apostle Paul while he is in prison. In Rome and Paul writes this letter to them Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to warn them not to drift Paul is is writing to tell them that Epaphras has done his job he has delivered the perfect message to them he has delivered up the perfect dish for them and these False teachers have messed it up by trying to add their own special sauce and ingredients to this perfect dish. Paul is writing to them to tell them that Christ and Him crucified has been preached to them and He is all they need, just Jesus Christ alone. He is the beginning of everything. He is the end of everything. He is the center of everything. Paul is writing to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Here's your truth for the week. He's writing to them to let them know that Jesus is supreme. He is all you need. He is all you need. He is writing to remind them that the message they received from Epaphras was the true message of Christianity. And throughout this book, Paul will share with them why that message is the best so they will not drift from Christ, but believe in Him and value Him and love Him and serve Him so that they will live their lives for Him. You're not there, get there, Colossians, New Testament. Colossians 1, for the next several months we are going to be studying this great book. Yes, I said several months. I know it's four chapters, but there's a lot. Trust me, we got plenty. While I've already done this a bit already, I want to spend the, the, the rest of this first sermon just introducing the book to you, giving you some, some background here to begin our study. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this and let's start with the outline of the book. This book divides nicely into six parts. In verses 1 through 8, that we'll look at today, you have the background given on the book in the introduction and uh, Paul's greeting as well in verses 9 through 14. You have a prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians. In Colossians 1, 15 through chapter 2, verse 3, the Colossian Christians are reminded of the person and work of Jesus Christ because they are being tempted to drift from Christ in his gospel. Paul starts this letter by reminding his readers of Christ's supremacy and his sufficiency. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 4 through 26 Paul addresses the problems at Colossae and what the Colossian response should be. He discusses the issue with the false teachers and their false teachings that they've been exposed to. He encourages the true disciples of Jesus Christ to stand against these teachings by remaining firmly planted on the truth found in God's Word. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul calls for the Christians at Colossae to respond to what he has taught them concerning the person and work of Jesus and his gospel. He calls for them to respond to these false teachings. He warned them about by faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. And to end in chapter 4, Paul concludes his letter by calling for the Colossian Christians to take the message of Christ like they are doing, like Paul's doing. That's the reason he's in prison. He is encouraging them to do the same, be, be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take this gospel out from the church into a lost and dying world in desperate need of rescue from sin and restoration to God. So here it is right here, the Colossian greeting the Colossian prayer, the Colossian Savior, the Colossian problem, the Colossian response, and then the conclusion of Colossians. So that's the the outline of the book. That is where we are headed in this study. Now let me give you some, some background info on the book that we learned from the first few verses of the book. First, the author who wrote Colossians. We get it from the book. Paul wrote it. Paul wrote Colossians, we learned that in Colossians 1, verse 1. Look at it with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now we are going to to learn as we continue this study that this letter is unique for Paul in that he is writing to a group of believers that he does not know personally. He has, he has never met them. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, he makes mention of how they have not seen him face to face. He doesn't know them personally, but he knows their story because he knows who knows them. Epaphras was a disciple of Paul's who might have even served time with Paul for a time while he was in prison. There's mention of that in Philemon 23 and uh, many believe that that Epaphras might have heard Paul preach in and around Ephesus when Paul was was ministering there and he is believed to be, Epaphras is believed to be the one who starts the church in Colossae. He visited Paul while he is under house arrest in Rome and shared with them about the church that had been started in Colossae about their faithfulness, but also about their struggles, which prompts Paul to write this letter. So while Paul does not know them, he gives them his credentials as an apostle of Christ Jesus, because they may not be as familiar with Paul. So he lets them know who he is. He gives them his credentials so that they will take to heart the correction and the instruction that he gives them in this letter. He lets them know he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And we, we learn in the book of Acts that Paul, he had, been, he had a unique encounter with Christ, right? He had been commissioned directly by Christ. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, by the will of God, and therefore should be recognized by them as a leader in the church. So Paul establishes his authority here so that they would listen to the instruction that he gives. Now, while Paul establishes his authority to exert influence over them, it's important to note here that he's not doing so in a prideful way. He's not boasting about this at all in an arrogant and showy way. Notice in the same breath, he humbly includes Timothy, his fellow laborer and brother, as a co-sender of this letter. Paul also mentions Epaphras whom they know well. He tells them that Epaphras is a beloved fellow servant, a co-laborer and faithful minister of Christ in verse 7. Epaphras had shared their story. That's why Paul is writing to them. Colossians is one of Paul's prison epistles. One of the letters he penned while under house arrest in Rome. His others are Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon, Paul sent two letters through Tychicus to Colossians to Colossae. One is the book of Colossians. The other is Philemon. So he sent two letters by way of Tychicus to this town. All right? The audience for Paul. Paul's writing to Christians at Colossae. Again, we learn that from the text. Look at verse 2. to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. At the time when Paul wrote this letter, Colossae was a Roman province in Asia. I have a map of it up here for you on the screen of where it's located. It's about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Notice that it is close to the cities of the seven churches that John addresses in the book of Revelation. Revelation. While exiled at Patmos, John wrote to churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There is no mention of Colossae by John in Revelation. The reason is because the book of Revelation was written toward the end of the first century and it is believed that this town, the town of Colossae, was was struck by a natural disaster in the first century. Historical sources tell us that Colossae was wiped out by a devastating earthquake in the first century. If you were to visit the city today, here's what you would find. Go to the next pic. It's a desolate area. The city and the people of Colossae were not long for this world. While that is the case, Paul wrote this letter to them and the truths that he shares with them, they speak to our church today. While this town had been wiped out in the first century, God's Word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it speaks to us today. While nations come and go, rise and fall, God's Word is everlasting. Amen? While the church did not last the century, Paul's letter to them is very, very important to us. The issues that they were having are issues that we're faced with today. And the message Paul gives is the message we need most. It's also a reminder to us that we have no idea what a day holds for us. While we are here today, we could be gone tomorrow, which is why we must make each day count for Christ. One of my favorite quotes that we have hanging in our home is from C.T. Studd, where he says this Look at this quote Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. We should make our days count for Christ, believers. Paul is going to encourage the Christians in Colossae in the same way. So this letter is addressed to the saints, the faithful brothers in Christ in this city. But of course, God intends for this book to be read and studied by us, his greater Christian audience. Before we move on from this point, let's focus in on that word saints. Look at verse 2. It's addressed to saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Who is Paul talking about when he talks about saints? When we hear that word, some of us think of a bunch of old dead guys who are statues now, right? Or, or sometimes we'll use that as an endearing term. Oh, here, she is such a saint. I have people say it about me all the time. Yeah, Especially my wife. The Greek word is hagias. Hagias. it means holy, dedicated, set-apart ones. Paul addresses those in this city who have been set apart by Christ, those who have been redeemed. The title has nothing to do with the good works they have done, but the good works Christ has done on their behalf that has been applied to them by faith. Saints refers to believers who have turned from their sin and are now trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Notice Paul also says he's writing to faithful brothers in Christ. Now, this is not to be separated from saints, but really a definition of the word. Paul is explaining here the activity of saints. Paul's not saying I'm writing to those who have been saved by God, and I'm also writing to those who are faithful. We tend to separate the two. Scripture doesn't do that. We all mess up, right? We've talked about this before. We we all struggle. There are no grace graduates in here, this side of glory, but the Bible teaches that God's people are those types of people who follow Him, who trust in Him, who, who are faithful to Him. While they mess up, they're messed up about messing up and they pursue godliness. They're not saved by their works, but their good works prove they are saved. And they're not to be praised for their good works. Their good works are a result of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul praises God when considering the faithfulness of the Colossian Christians. Paul also said this of himself. He said, by God's grace, I am who I am. And the same goes for you and me as well. By God's grace, we are who we are. And God deserves all the praise for where we are spiritually. The Colossians were saints, faithful brothers, because of the person and work of Christ, because of Christ's life in them. While Paul did not know these believers, he takes time to write to them. This is important as well. Believers, you have no idea what it means to someone when they are struggling in sin, they're struggling in in their walk with Christ. You have no idea what it means to someone when you take time to invest in them encourage them, pray for them, and provide instruction for them. We see Paul's pastoral heart here in this in this epistle. Paul's words, no doubt, carried weight for them. It meant a lot to these Christians. He's writing them from prison, writing to encourage them. The date of the book, knowing that Paul is in prison while writing this epistle helps us with the date. He was under house arrest in Rome for two years, from 60 to 62. This date is important because it reminds us Christians can drift from truth quickly. They can. The Colossian church was not very old. While they had a solid start, the temptation to ditch doctrine and drift from God's gospel message came quickly. Church, we need to always be on guard against false teaching because it can come upon us quickly and influence and spread like cancer through this church. The soundest of churches, hear me say this, the soundest of churches are not exempt from this. It's important to note here, this was not some gospel light, Bible-barely church in Colossae. Let's do the type of church Paul is writing to. Let's read verses 3 through seven together. He tells them, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed In the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This church was solid. I want you to see that. We we often think only weak churches are in danger of false teaching. The church at Colossae was started by a disciple of the Apostle Paul's. He was at one time a a, a fellow prisoner of his. Epaphras was solid. Again, Paul says of Epaphras in verse 7, he's a beloved fellow servant, a co-laborer, a faithful minister of Christ. Epaphras had shared with them the true message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says here in verse 5, You have heard the word of truth, the gospel. You heard it. You understood it. You understood the grace of God and truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Not only had they heard it, not only had they understood the gospel, but they responded positively to it again. Verse 3, Paul says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all the saints, the hope you have for heaven. Paul says in verse 7 that Epaphras had made known to him their love in the Spirit. Solid group of believers. So much so that stories of their faithfulness were the subject of Paul's prayers. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks as we look at Paul's model prayer for for the Christians at Colossae. He said, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Can I just say this? I want you to notice here that while Paul did not know these believers, he prayed for them. While he was unable to visit them, while he was unable to see them face to face, he prayed for them. Paul's prayer life was an important part of his ministry. Can that be said of you? The reason why it was an important part of Paul's ministry is because he knew it was important to God. There are places we go and minister as a church where some of you will not be able to ever visit due to your circumstances. But you know what you can do? For the the missionaries and the church and those who go out to be involved in those ministries, you can pray. Prayer is not a side note in ministry. It is the power behind the ministry. It is is the means through which God works in our lives and world to accomplish His kingdom purposes. The prayers of the righteous, James says, accomplish much. Can I encourage you today to pray? Can you do that? Can you pray for our church? Can you pray for our leadership? Pray for the people we minister to. Pray for the people watching right now online we're trying to reach. Pray for the struggles that people are having. Pray for the health and strength of the pastoral staff. Pray for the mission ministry we're involved with. Pray. You're going to be challenged this week in your study guide to be in prayer for those things. We need you to pray. Please pray. Pray all Paul could do under house arrest was pray and it was significant. He could pray and write and that's what he did. And here we are today discussing his prayers and his letters. Paul prayed for this group of believers. One thing he, he did when praying for them is he praised God for them. He praised God for their response to his gospel message and their faithfulness. Solid group of believers. You know what the, the mark of a true Christ follower is? We, we have them here. One, they've repented of sin and they have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Another is that they walk by faith and they live their lives in light of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. Marks of a true Christ follower. Look at uh, Mark Maynell's quote. This is taken from his commentary in Colossians. He says there, he's talking about the Colossian Christians. Their lives exhibit precisely the qualities we should always expect in new believers. Faith in Christ, love for all God's people, and hope for heaven. Paul says, we we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit, a Spirit-filled, faithful, gospel-believing, Christ-trusting people. Yet they're having issues spiritually. If that's true of them, I want you to know that that can be true of us. I want you to get that. From this study. That can be true of us therefore Paul's words to them should be studied by us so we can be on guard against the attacks of the enemy and the false beliefs and practices that can threaten our church and cause people to drift spiritually. That is why Paul is writing to them. Let's take a closer look at the reason he is sending this letter. The reason for his writing is this. Paul is writing to a church Being tempted to drift spiritually and is reminding them of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. There it is. He's telling a group of believers who are tempted to drift from Jesus to not drift. Because Jesus is supreme. He is all they need. Paul says to them in verse 2, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now with this opening, Paul hints at the reason he is writing this book. I want you to see this here. He is writing to remind them of the gospel message that they received from his faithful disciple Epaphras. Paul is explaining to them why the message of Jesus Christ is not to be messed with. While grace and peace was a standard greeting for, for Paul, it was unique for the time period. We have general greetings that we use today, right? Hello, how are you? Hola, como estas? How are you doing? How are things going? We have this standard greeting that we use everywhere. And this was a case in Paul's day. But I want you to see here Paul's greeting, while standard for his epistles, was unique for the time. This was a greeting he used when he was writing to believers. While it did mean what our greetings mean, I hope things are well with you, there's more to this greeting than just that. What Paul is doing when he says, grace to you, grace, underline that word, peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He is reminding the Christians at Colossae of the amazing grace and the amazing peace that that has been provided for them by God through Christ. The message they believe from Epaphras. The words grace and peace are used several times. In this book, Paul begins and ends this letter with grace to you. Colossians 1-2, grace to you. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, grace be with you. This book, the book of Colossians, begins and ends with the amazing grace of God. The word grace refers to God's unmerited and undeserved favor that He freely gives to us, it is unearned, it is undeserved, it is freely given. Paul reminds his readers at the very beginning of the book of God's amazing grace that has been made possible through the person and work of Christ alone. This is an important message for the Christians at Colossae because while they were taught by Epaphras that they were saved and made right with God by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That, that supreme and sufficient work was being challenged by false teachers in the church. So we have said, a man named Epaphras started this church. He heard the gospel from Paul. He took that message to the Colossians. Many responded in repentance and faith. Church was started in that city. They had a great beginning, but they eventually began to have issues. Certain false teachers began to crop up in the church and they were confusing these young converts while they were speaking favorably of Jesus. Hey, we're fans of Jesus. You ever heard that? We love Jesus. We love Jesus. We're fans of of Jesus. They were adding to his gospel message. They were teaching these young Gentile believers that the Christian faith, Paul and Epaphras, proclaimed it's good, but it's missing a few things. It's missing a few ingredients. They were teaching these Gentile converts, we're going to learn, that they were missing a key ingredient in their life, which was the observance of Old Testament Judaism. Now, this had been settled at the Council of Jerusalem. You didn't have to become, as a Gentile, more Jewish to be a Christian. We're all saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they were saying, yeah, but if you want, you want to be a little closer. You need to observe these old Jewish observances. You need to keep the law and the feast and the festivals these false teachings also contained a strange mix of pagan beliefs and practices as well. This was just a these teachers were just teaching a hodgepodge mix of Christianity and Judaism and paganism. Epaphras. Here's about it. Seeks Paul's help. And, and Paul writes to these believers and spells out many of these errors for them in Colossians chapter 2. One in particular we find in chapter 2, verse 18. These false teachers were teaching about these angelic go-betweens. These angelic intermediaries. We're told in Scripture very clearly that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But a group of of uh, uh, false teachers began to challenge that in Colossia. A popular pagan belief in this day taught that everything spiritual is good. Everything physical is bad. And these false teachers were using that idea to convince these young Colossian believers that because God is spirit, He's too great and awesome and spiritual to be approached by small, weak material beings, they therefore need someone lesser than God but greater than man so that they can enter into his presence someone lesser than God but greater than man to link them to God so they can enjoy fellowship with God they failed to understand the amazing grace of God in sending his son God the son who took on flesh to live and die and rise again in order to save them God reached down to us he became one of us in the person of Jesus in order to save us they had they they these teachers were were moving them away from that message. They were being tempted to to drift from the message that taught that God the Son, the Supreme One, Creator, King over all, King Jesus, had condescended down to them, had become one of them in order to bring them to God. They are being tempted to doubt that message and were in danger of drifting spiritually. These false teachers were also calling into question the clarity of the gospel message that was taught publicly by Christ and his apostles. They they reported that with it there was this cloudy, this private message about a a secret, special knowledge that only a few people possessed. How many of you, when you were young, you uh, played in a fort or a clubhouse? Any of y'all do that? And somebody had to have a password to get in, right? One of your friends had to have a password. That's kind of what they were doing. They're like, in order to get close to God, you have to have to have the password. You have to have this secret message that only a few possess. That's being taught in Colossae. And that message is being taught today. There there are books written today that are bestsellers that appeal to this way of thinking. There are cults that go door to door that say we know more about Jesus than you do. We know more than what's in your Bibles, more than what they share in your churches, more than, than, than the majority of people know. And if you follow us, we'll give you this special sauce. We'll give you what's missing, this secret ingredient. We will give you this special message. We will share with you this special way of how you can be even, even closer to God. Believers, you need to be on guard against this door-to-door deception that's taking place. This is what leads Paul to write this letter under the guidance of An inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to show the Colossian Christians and us believers that we don't need to move one inch from Jesus as he is revealed to us in the word of God. He is supreme. He is all we need. I need to be removed from this church if my message ever deviates from that. Satan doesn't want our focus on that. He wants us to buy into these secret recipes, this false message, because it keeps our eyes off of the true Savior and time out of God's precious Word. Paul writes this letter to redirect their gaze and our gaze to Jesus and to reinforce what is taught in Scripture He writes because these young and impressionable Christians were being tempted by these beliefs. All these teachings were being added to and mixed in with the Christian message and was changing the message and endangering the spiritual lives of the believers in Colossae. So Epaphras appeals to Paul again who writes this letter to combat these errors and remind the Colossians of the gospel message of grace. His response to these false teachings is the grace of God. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. He has come to make a way for us through his life, death, and resurrection. All that is needed is faith alone in Christ alone. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Paul also talks a lot about peace in this book. In Colossians 1.20... Paul reminds the Christians at Colossae that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. There was a time when we are not at peace with God. We were his enemies. We were far off. We were estranged from God because of our sin. But we learned here from Paul that God has done something about it. Hallelujah. God made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. He has made peace with us when there seemed to be no chance whatsoever at peace at all. He has done it through his son Jesus through the shed blood of Christ. Christ came. He lived, he died, he rose again to make peace between God and us. That's the reason we come into this place rejoicing. That's the joy in our hearts, believers, right there. He has made peace. He has done it. Through the life he lived, the death he died, and through his resurrection. What Adam failed to do, what we could never do, Christ is done for us. So Paul reminds us, the reader, at the beginning of this book, in the first half of this letter, that God has brought about peace for us through Christ. Paul wants his readers to know that peace and favor with God, they do not come, listen, they do not come from personal piety. They do not come from outward religious practice. They do not come from empty religious ritual. They come through faith alone, in Christ alone. R. Scott Pace, in his commentary on Colossians, says this. Look at this quote. We're almost done. The gospel and the grace of God are inextricably intertwined. In contrast to the works-oriented Colossian heresy, God's gracious gift of salvation cannot be earned and is entirely undeserved. Christ alone has made peace for us with God, and he made it by his blood that was shed at Calvary. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Christ alone. And the question I wanna leave you with today is, have you responded favorably to this gospel message today? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned from your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, that's your invitation today. I urge you today, turn from your sin, Bow the knee to King Jesus. Place your faith and trust in him alone for salvation and be saved today. Let's pray together.